You busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. So I had an amazing discovery in the form of having a conversation outside of hours that piqued my interest in such a way that it made me go on nerdy grandbaby flow. I called and was making some calls to finalize the decision I made to go back to Egypt, a.k.a. I went back to a prior job. I don't know what's going on with the human brain that we never allow ourselves to remember the entire prior experience in totality. We like to go ahead and have convenient amnesia, maybe that name of Jesus, where we just remember the highlight reel of a situation, but we never remember why you left, buddy, why you left that job, why you no longer talk to that family member, why you left old girl alone a long time ago, why that friend is no longer as close as she was, until you decide to go ahead and revisit Egypt, and once you get there, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so this grandbaby had this. You know, I don't want to judge me um, because this is a judge fee phone call, but had the idea to go back to a prior situation, which we will lovingly coin Egypt. And so I go back to Egypt. Everybody's excited that I'm back. I'm excited that I'm back. And I noticed very quickly that I made a horrendous mistake. And so I tried to chug along month one, month two, and then it just got to the point that I was unable to hide the fact that I wasn't okay. And I think what happened is God has changed my palate for unnecessary endurance. And I can't camouflage that anymore. I can no longer live like I'm okay with limping. If I know that I'm supposed to walk in a certain position with two legs that are acute, there is something about having God position you and then having someone come behind that and try to contort you to have a different posture. It's almost like you cannot be okay with not being okay. I cannot sit this way to contort myself for a company. And I know that God has positioned me to sit differently. Yes. Yeah, shoulders back, slight little arch chin up. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, mm, I feel like I went back to God and I did all this work to get back to my manufactured default where I am curious about my calling, where I am executing and praying and asking for the steps to get there. And I do all that. And I had this grand idea of, okay, I'll just go back to that job. And then I'll work that job until I can go ahead and step out the boat with confidence and everything, all my ducks in a row. And God was like, "Mm -mm. let me explain something to you. Nowhere where I'm taking you requires for you to go back to where I rescued you from. Yeah, I don't know why you thought, oh, I'm just going to go back in this relationship and I'm not going to get as tied in or whatever. I'm just going to, you know, me and old boy, we just going to no, like, I'm sorry, you want company and God is trying to call you into something greater. Yeah, you you just want the ambiance of what it looks like to be around a crowd. You just want to feel what family feels like you just want. And so you are trying to fulfill your palate. And the only one that can truly do that is God. Yeah, you may know, okay, I need to go eat something because I'm hungry. But you don't know how to live a life where you'll never be starved again. There is a certain way that God is trying to lead you that doesn't just look like one temporal blessing fulfilled after the other. 
Like when he called the disciples, he was like, yo, y'all fishermen, and that's cute. You make a living and, you know, you do well for your family and for your business. But I want to make you a fisher of men. Where not only are you satisfied, you are training other people to come under you to be satisfied. You are showing, like, it's a ripple effect. And I feel like I had an aha moment. So when I finally came to, (laughs) out of Egypt and was like, okay, Red Sea moment. God, what do I do? Because this is just, I am stuck between trying to bring my past the things that I wanted before, the things that I dreamt prior, I'm trying to drag past into future. And I'm starting to see that there's no room for that. Like you are not going to stretch the road for me so that it can contain the things that I wanted for me. Like, that's why he says, yo, like pick up your cross. Yeah. Like you're going to have to go ahead and die to whatever it is. Rebuke that name of Jesus that you had in mind. Like what you had in mind is probably the tip of the iceberg. The thing of the matter is we have the outcome that we would like, but the steps that we take in and of ourselves to get there looks nothing like what he would do. Like if the goal is to be a homeowner, we then go through the like, okay, we go through all these rigmaroles and all these different steps. And God is like, if you would just give, come to me, For the details, it says that I delight in the details of your life. If you will come to me for the plan, if you, I blessed you enough and trusted you enough to show you the outcome, I didn't need you to then go out and try to make it come into fruition. That's not your job. And so here I am finding myself in between trying to escape Egypt, (laughs) but then looking forward and going, I don't really know if I know nothing at all. I know that Egypt's not it. And I think a lot of times what we try to do is we don't want to leave Egypt until we know for sure the promise that we're walking into. And it doesn't work like that. It works a lot like what I know, what I know that I know right now is that Egypt is not it. And based on that, if I know nothing else, I know that I'm not supposed to go back to think of, fix my mind on, wonder about, do anything that looks like that half of me or any portion of me is still in Egypt while I'm trying to move to the promise of God. And so that required me to make a few phone calls abruptly and let people know that I'm not going to continue my position. And so, you know, I got to get back equipment and I had to go ahead and inform HR and all these other different things. And one particular conversation kind of got my attention. So I'm trying to meet up with someone to give her my equipment and the things that I have that was at home and all the other things. And she was kind of, you know how you're having a conversation with someone and you could feel like they really want to pour, but they don't know you. So they're kind of like trying to, uh, you know, screen door you real quick. Like I want to have an intimate conversation, but I'm nervous that this may get back. And she did say that at some point. She said, wait, you're not coming back, right? Because I don't want you to wrap me out. And I was like, listen. And so I went in full preacher mode, not even like that was all Holy Spirit. I was like, well, maybe she needed to hear that. And what I essentially said is there's no way that I could allow God to change the palate of my life and then me go back to eating something that is not nutritious and act like I'm being satisfied. There's no way that I can allow God to truly show me something different and then come back to this and act like I never saw different. And I told her, I said, 
it literally takes sometimes for you to step out the boat to see that you can walk on water so that when you try to be satisfied with just sitting in boats thereafter, it doesn't fill you anymore. And she was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, you know, I'm, I, she's been there. She gave me a year. Like, I guess she's been there six or seven years. She's like, you know, she's been there since that time. And then she said the following statement. She said, but, you know, it makes, it feels like I'm just going to be here until I die. Rebuke that name of Jesus. And she laughed. But I was like, what? No, you don't. No. Like, yeah, you can't just say stuff like that with me on the phone. Not with God and me. Um, We're going to go ahead and start rebuking C's as you're talking. And I was like, no, but you, she was like, no, trust me. I'm looking and I'm trying. And she's already made head management no. And they're like, oh, you'll be back. And so I didn't like that for her kind of thing. And I, so I, all I can do was just try to use my courage to go ahead and encourage her. And I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Um, and I named all the non-benefits of being there. You don't get a bonus. It's, it's becoming about numbers. You can't even say, oh, I enjoy doing this particular because it's in a social work field. So you can't even say, oh, I feel like I'm doing something for humanity because now they're making it all about how fast you can process stuff and, and how quickly it's becoming a numbers thing. You're not even really executing your skills like that. And I'm, I'm going down the line. Like, so when do you get a raise or when do you get valued? They even went ahead and changed everyone's title so that they can have a different pay scale because if they make it more on the customer service side then you get and it's just all these different things and everything that I said to her she was like yeah I know I know and so then it made me stop like if you know then why are you still there you know I'm, I'm trying no 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 it ain't no trying when it comes to your livelihood and not livelihood like, oh, I got to pay bills and I got this due and that due. Your livelihood as how do you convince yourself to go somewhere every single day where the inside of you is dying and you're okay with that to the point that you'll even verbalize that even if jokingly there was some power in that. You have literally made a decision to say, you know what, this place does not serve me, but I'm not moving. And not because of nothing that is extraordinary it's literally it's not like she's making six figures like i hate to say that because it shouldn't be a price on your freedom but how dare you shackle your soul because of convenience of any sort how do you get up and go to something knowing that you are going to wither every day it doesn't have the light you need it doesn't have the water you need and the plant for your particular soul is withering how do you do that that's like somebody serving you something with mold on it in a restaurant. You see the mold. You know that mold is not supposed to be eaten. You know that that's going to make you sick. But you know what? You eat it anyway because at least you're at a restaurant and at least you're not at home. And then you pay for that. What's the difference? The fact that you can actually see, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. No, but you see that every day and at the job and every day turns into another month and another month turns into another season, another season turns to another year. And it's like, I'm sorry. Do you need me to call 911? Because it's looking like a hostage situation. That bothers me. How do you do that? How do you do that to yourself? And I know that we have responsibilities. I know that we have big girl and big boy things that we really, like, listen, we, we need it. But when you scale back on it, it's like, yo, if you put that same amount of push through in something that you actually want to arrive to, 
Could you imagine where you would be? And nine times out of 10, it's because people don't know even how to get started on what they want to do. On, on, they, don't need, they haven't even given themselves the space to dream a different life. All the way through, not just like, oh, that would be, do-. like, no, put a name to what you would be doing. Get, give some characteristics and aspects that would highlight the reason why you would want to continue to do it. And then go perceive that nine times out of 10, people don't know you're reading all these and skimming through all these job descriptions and you don't need you. You can feel like that part's going to bore me. And they're not even hiding the fact that they plan on draining every part of you. When you come here, fast paced environment, I'm just going to go ahead and need you to know deadlines. Okay. Strict deadlines. You're going to have to travel. Yeah. You're going to have to have an open schedule. Okay, it's going to be some weekends and some, it's like, they are like, listen, this is what we're offering. How much do we got to pay you to take away your piece? How much do we got to pay so that you can go ahead and start using some of this medical? Cause you're going, you're going to need it working here. Like that is ridiculous to me. That sounds a lot like a modern day prostitution. Hate to say it, but if you put a price on your piece, then that's what you sold it for. And that bothers me. So I had to go ahead and get on my nerdy status. And I was like, I want to read. Like, I have to see outside of me because this is ridiculous. I went to, I guess this is pronounced Zippia, Z-I-P-P-I-A.com. And I wanted to read about the grandbabies of the world in the U.S. of the A. And it literally has so many statistics here that I was ready to just throw my phone, but then I don't want to pay for the repair fee. So I, I retracted on that thought, but listen to a few of these statistics over half of American workers want to change their jobs. As of 2021, approximately 52% of employees want to change their current job while 44% are already in the process of doing so. At least 15% of Americans report that they are at least somewhat dissatisfied with their jobs. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I'm having a hard time. Important factors of job satisfaction. So they went ahead and ranked how people are saying what they need the most when it comes to job satisfaction. You know what you, you want to know what the number one thing is? Okay, I'm going to just throw out the areas, and then you tell me which one of these you like. Oh, yeah, that's the top one. So the items are meaningfulness, opportunity, salary, autonomy, recognition, and respect. Which one of these do you think is like high number one for important factors of job satisfaction? Nope, not that one. You want to hear which one it is? Respect. Very much Deaconess Aretha Franklin. Respect, 72%. Meaningfulness, 35%. Salary, 20%. Autonomy, 18%. Opportunity, 15%. And recognition, 12%. We have reduced ourselves to the point that it don't matter what y'all pay me. It doesn't matter if there's more opportunities for me to go ahead and move up in the career ladder. It doesn't matter if you go ahead and you say job well done, or you send out an email. We have biscuits on Friday morning. It doesn't even matter if what I'm doing is even meaningful to me. But the one thing 
that is going to make or break me feeling satisfied here is respect. Yo, why is that even an option? Why are, why is respect even a option? Like some people are literally going to their most abusive place in their life. Literally, because that's the one place that somebody could talk to you greasy, crazy, and out the side of their neck. And you have to refrain how you respond. The supervisor can say what she want. The higher management can say what he want. And you have to just sit there and smile and wave, boys. For most people, that is the most abusive location that you go to every single day. And they pay you to do that to you. And you allow it. You allow it. Like, does does that do something to you? Does it make you say, you know what, I'm sorry. So I went ahead and went a little further. Because I wanted to literally understand what made people unhappy. And it was uh, so many different things here. And I was like, it literally will give you to the point that you are like, like it's getting me angry and, and you would join me in this. It, it literally feels like a hostage situation. They did job satisfaction by ages. Now, when you look at what the retirement age is, bro, they pushing almost to 70. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Why almost to 70 again? Because you're going to be too broken to be working anyway. And they don't see the value in you. So I went ahead and I was like, just so that I'm not saying anything that looks a lot like, uh, you're misusing that. I went and looked up the definition for the word hostage. And according to the new Oxford American dictionaries and the bishops thereof hostage, the noun at least is a person seized or held as security for the fulfillment of a condition. Everybody's worried about, oh, you, is it job security here? Oh, okay, well, and asking all the questions to ensure that they're going to have a, 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 at least a seat to sit in to be unsatisfied for however many hours, however many days a week, however many, like, for what you're giving for the year. And you're wondering if it's job satisfaction and you don't even realize it's a hostage situation. You're being held to fulfill their particular orders, their particular quota. Yeah, they're equal opportunity employer, but they're also an equal opportunity exhauster. There is, that should be the new EOE. They are doing things to you mentally, physically, and emotionally that you know what is the most abusive trauma that you can ever get. And you got to talk yourself into getting up every day to go there. You got to talk yourself into staying there. You got to talk yourself to maintaining that while you're trying to go ahead and, and contort your exit interview and or your exit strategy. And that is exhausting. And then you still got to have enough time for the people you care about and the things you care about and the things that you're passionate about. Like that's a little bit too much for anyone. Don't you think? Like, that's crazy to me. And so when I was thinking about it, I'm like, now, again, there are some grandbabies that this doesn't sit well with. Some grandbabies are like, listen, I love my job. Oh, you know what? Praise God for you. But over half of the other grandbabies existing and breathing in this world, they don't feel the same. And I need for people to wake up. 
because work was never supposed to be something that you had to do in order to be a part of your life. Work was supposed to be you working in the thing that you were wired to do. Whatever you were wired to do, that was supposed to be the thing that you did for a living. And then we coined it this four letter word called work. If you were good with your hands, you're supposed to be a handyman. If you can bake and do some things with food, then go ahead and go to the culinary arts of the Grand Babies Institute. Whatever it is that you were good at, whatever it is that you were called to do, whatever it is that is your purpose, you were supposed to do that on purpose for the rest of your life. But for some reason, it started being a little bit different. It's like, yo, I know you're good with your hands, but um, the computers is what's making the money, so you need to go over there. I know that you literally have a heart for animals, but ain't no real money in that. So what you need to go ahead and do is uh, go ahead and be a surgeon on humans. And so you went so polar opposite for whatever the reason, the direction altercation was done, that it literally gets so point that it's like, when do you get back to your manufacturer default? When do you get back to the place of you realizing I can no longer live like this because this is not living. This is surviving. This is not living. This is you just coasting. And I feel like you don't understand the freedom. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because once God got me on the other side of this and I was able to see like, oh my gosh, like with a different set of eyes, it angers me. Because people are literally spending their lives and, and it is exhausting them and the people around them. You can't, your whole life is surrounded about this job. Like they never, it's listen, I am passionate about this. It's to the point that I want to ask you a real talk Real talk question. Can you imagine the life where you're actually doing something, whether in an established company, you establishing your own company, nonprofit, whatever it is, where you actually look forward consistently in doing that particular line of work? Now, when you think about it, is there a slight fear of, oh, but I can't do that right now? And when you think about your reasoning of why you can't do that right now, is it pinned to a cultural thing that you are trying to sustain? And because you're trying to sustain that, it has created a hostage situation in the one area that takes the most of your time. I just want to know, I think it will make me feel better if I can just ask people, do you know why you're doing this to yourself? Do you know why day in and day out you subject yourself to this? Do you have a plan in motion? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm applying to jobs. And if it takes five years and no one calls you back, if it's five months, if it's a whole year, you're going to do another year of this, bruh, the amount of time that you're putting into going ahead and 
applying for stuff, why don't you apply yourself to creating a company? Why don't you create a nonprofit? Why don't you create like, yo, I refuse to know that there are children making billions on YouTube because they just opening up presents. Like to me, that just makes me feel like you're not tapped in enough to do something different. The Bible says that your gift will make room for you. And God, and Jesus said that he get, he came to us. You can have life and life more abundantly. And then here you are once again, sabotaging yourself, sabotaging your future because you waiting for somebody to give you an opportunity, create your, your opportunity, create your moment, create your happy. Yo, God looked over in Genesis and was like, eh, this is not giving. Let me go ahead and start creating something. The heavens and the earth. You were created to multiply.com. Cause that's my website, but you were created to be creative. So if someone is not hiring you and you have experience and you have a, a certain set of God given skill and you have like, yo, be a freelancer, put some stuff together where you're like, yo, in one year, my life is going to look different because I gave this company this many years. And, and if this was my last six months on earth, rebuke it in the name of Jesus, I don't want to devote it to a company that does not value me. Remember our conversation with, are you under value? If you evaluate, if you're even under the same values or aligned with the values of your company, are they one and the same? That bothers me. We think that we're trying because we're applying to things, but are you applying yourself? And when you zoom out, are you using the best skill set that you have? Or are you sabotaging yourself, making yourself think that you're trying to do something different when you're just doing the same thing, just in another location? Are you really reading those job descriptions and feeling like, okay, this is going to be different? Are you really looking at certain relationships, seeing the red flags and really feeling like, okay, this is going to be different. Do not apply yourself to something that looks like it's going to be a repeat. That is insanity. I'm getting upset. I want to read to you about someone who should have had this conversation because I feel like screaming at him. And that's Samson. When I was reading Judges 16, I was like, sir, are you literally so comfortable with sabotaging yourself that you have convinced yourself to be naive enough to believe that Delilah is not behind this? That this is the life that you already subscribed and signed up for yourself to live. And this is living to you. When I tell you anger, you have no idea. And a righteous anger. Don't get it twisted because that's the good kind of anger, right? Let's go ahead and read Judges 16. I want to read from the NLT version. So verse 1. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Oop. Maybe that's why I use that word. Look at me. Two. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of the morning comes, we will kill him. Three, but Samson stayed in the bed only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. Four, Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Valley of Sarek. Five, 
the rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,000 pieces of silver. Six, so Delilah went to Samson. Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Seven, Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that haven't not yet been dried, I will become as weak as anyone else. Rebuke that. Eight. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings and she tied Samson up with them. Nine. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it was burnt by a fire so the secret of his strength was not discovered. 10. Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. 11. Samson replied, if I were tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. 12. So Delilah took new ropes and tied them up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before. And again, Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson snapped the ropes from his arms as if they were thread. 13, then Delilah said, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, if you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric of your loom and tighten it with the loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. Now, nope, let's just keep going. So while he slept, Delilah wove the seven braids of his hair into the fabric. 14. Then she tightened it with the loom shuttle. Again, she cried out and said her same thing again. Samson, the Philistine, but whatever. 15. Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now. You haven't told me what it takes, what makes you so strong. 16. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. 17. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut. He confessed, if I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, if my hair was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Ha! 18, Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. 19, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. And then she called, into, called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left. 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I would do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. 21. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. I want to stop there. Do you see how irritating it is? And how just downright just like, it gets you, you, you want to grit your teeth, that you are watching Samson place himself so inadequately that he's not doing anything about it. He's not trying to do anything different. And the fruit 
of, yo, she's asking you a question. And every time you give her an answer, that particular thing is happening. And the fruit of you pouring into this woman, whether it's truth or not, you have convinced yourself that as long as you can keep overriding whatever attack that's there, as long as you can keep overriding and doing your work and not saying anything, as long as you can keep ignoring the toxic culture environment, as long as you can keep ignoring the disrespect that the supervisors and them are doing, as long as you can keep ignoring that, like, yo, your workload is getting outrageous. As long as you can keep ignoring that, then there's no reason for you to leave that environment yet. And what you don't understand is that when you are placed somewhere where you should not have been in the first place or that when you realize you wasn't supposed to be there, the moment that you get that recognition, when you are not supposed to be anywhere, you don't leave the same way you came in. There's a piece of your strength that's left behind. Yeah, you don't leave with the same tenacity of wanting to find something different. You don't leave with the same work ethic. You leave with a chip on your shoulder. You leave with with wounds that other supervisors put there, that new supervisor is going to have to work out of you. You leave with a certain set of boundaries that looks like protection, but you actually have shuttled yourself into something. Like you do not leave the same. And it's ridiculous. It's almost like they're, instead of it being Delilah asking Samson all the questions to leave their strength, the job is doing things to pull from your strength as well. What happens when we give you twice amount of work? Oh, okay. So you still come back. Cool. What happens when we don't value you? Oh, okay. You still come back. And what happens when we make a commitment or have a meeting and say we're going to do something and then we actually don't do it? Oh, you still come back. That is your Delilah. How is Delilah setting you up in such a way that you see that the fruit of what she's setting you up to do, the fruit of which the questions that she's asking and all these other things, don't you see that Delilah was placed so that you can be dismantled? But you have made yourself delusional enough to think that as long as you focus and as long as you don't gossip at work and as long as you don't and you think that you can be in the midst of Delilah, that you can be intimate with Delilah, that you can have lunch with Delilah, that y'all can text and talk after work with Delilah, that as long as you are, you know, having communion with Delilah, but you're not actually contorting like and being like Delilah that you can keep on being Samson in and of itself. It doesn't work that way. When a Delilah enters the chat, then you have already given access to, to a part of your strength that is nine times out of 10 going to be depleted. There is something so eerily frustrating to me about knowing that Delilah is no good for you and yet you found an aspect of Delilah that you like or fell in love with and that was enough to continue to feel like I will keep subscribing to going here. I know that this is a prostitute that he fell in love with but what he doesn't understand is that he prostituted God's covering to be with Delilah. And that in itself is the most traumatic part of all of this because it's not that Delilah tricked him is that he tricked himself into selling into the fact that he loved the woman he should have never been with in the first place. 
Yeah, it's not that bad. Sir, she's a prostitute and you're married. I don't understand. What do you mean it's not that bad? She set you up three times. I don't understand. What do you mean it's not that bad? She's nagging you. I don't, and, and to the point that you starting to give out secrets and passcodes and your social security number. Like, what do you mean it's not that bad? But the Bible was very, very detailed to let you know that he fell in love with her. She didn't fall in love with him. <laughs> she, she knows she fell in love with that offer for the 1,100, uh, pieces of silver. That's what she was in love with. You know what your supervisor is in love with? The fact that you're reliable, the fact that they can put all that work on you. You're going to keep on doing it. You may pout a little bit or whatever you may do, but you go to lunch and you re up and you come back. The fact that you don't take any of your PTO, the fact that they can always go ahead and depend on you. That's what they're in love with. But you love the coworkers and you love the time that y'all get off and you you fell in love with such a minute part of the establishment and the company that you told the rest of yourself um I'm going to ignore and forsake that part because I love the prostitute part of it like you have to literally admit that that's what you are and I believe that everyone that does not have a audacious plan so that their next year doesn't look like the years beforehand and, and so on and so forth that they have chosen Delilah off of utilizing their strength somewhere else. I believe that. What is my challenge to you? My challenge to you is like, yo, real talk, like do something different, please. Like seriously do something different. Life is so much more then being in relationships that don't serve you, being in companies that don't serve you, being in friendships that don't serve you, being still in communication with family members that no longer serve you and you don't serve them. Like, yo, imagine a life where everyone's getting a reciprocated level of mutual benefit from each other. You can't even, it's hard for some people to even imagine that because in their mind, that's not realistic. Why not? Why can't you make that reality? It's not realistic because you don't know anyone else who has that reality. Then be your own example. Like, seriously, it has to get to the point that you like, yo, I'm not going to look reading this about Samson. You're like, buddy looks dumb. But how do you, how does your book of life read? If somebody was reading your book, how does that read? Why did you stay in that relationship that long? Why did you stay at that job that long? Why do you allow people to deal and handle you like that? Why, why is the outcome of how somebody manages you that you need to change? You need to get tougher skin. You're too sensitive. You're too blunt. How about just getting around people who know how to manage when something says fragile? No, when it says fragile, I don't, that doesn't mean throw it on the, on the floor. You understand? Like it, it's, it gets to a point that you have to start as frustrating as this was to read about Samson. You should start looking at yourself like that. And tell yourself, we're no longer sacrificing the greatness in us for something that we fell in love with, a portion of what Delilah can give. That's a shame. He went there so often he fell in love with her. And that should tell you something there. Because the Bible says sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived there in the valley. Sometime later, that means that wasn't on his palate at first. 
But once you keep going to something, once you keep consuming something, once your palate changes and it's, oh, it's not that bad. If you got to put that in front of bad, that means it's bad. That it, it, It's no way to camouflage that no more. How long are you going to live with that contorted palate and act like there's not something else in you and act like you don't desire something greater and act like God didn't already cover you with, with a different set of skills in, in, in the path that he wants for your life? How are you able to star in the own, your own movie of your life and not be the main character, but be a supporting role to everybody else's whatever, fill in the blank. You got to shake some stuff up. I need you to get to a place that you like, yo, no more. Like, I'm good. Anytime I see a Delilah, I'm not playing with it. See, Samson played with it because he figured, you know, as long as he got his strength, he's good. But what you don't understand is that Delilah's going to weigh you down before you weigh her down, sir, ma'am. Yeah, she's going to nag and get to the pieces of you before you're able to hold on to the pieces of yourself. It has to be different. You got to want different. And as long as you staying in places you should not be, it's going to be difficult for you to identify this is not it. Do you understand that? Like I shouldn't be more upset about you not really fulfilling your purpose than, than you are. Like that, that should mean something. I don't be on this phone telling all my business just because I like to, you know, spill my own tea. Like some of this is like, I would rather keep some of this limped into myself, but this is life. And we're supposed to be living differently. And there's supposed to be a different set of like everything that we experience. And some of us are not experiencing abundance because we chose Delilah and whatever area of your life that may be. But look, I'm getting upset again. And I feel like I'm trying to calm down. Um, I feel like you got what you needed. Mm-hmm. You know what these conversations are, right? Whew, they are life-provoking conversations, conversations that not the average person's going to have with you, but your favorite home girl. I want better for you because when you're better, the people around you get better because you'll start to select better. You'll start to see better people things and people and their purposes, you're start to want better, better begots and attracts better. There's no such thing as being around unhealthy fruit and being the only healthy one in the bunch. Rotten overrides everything that you're trying to attempt to do. And I don't want that for us no more. I don't want you being the only good hearted person there. I don't want you being the only thoughtful friend in your group. I don't want you being the only dedicated worker to people who don't value. Like, I don't want that for you. And I literally feel like if we were to lean in, no matter how scary, no matter how undetermined and like uncertain and all the things that we may feel emotionally, I want you to lean into what God's trying to get your attention in. He literally has a hard job of trying to convince you to choose him so that he can get you to what he's always had for you. If any part of you feels like, yo, this is not it, then that's the first knock on the door. Open it and ask God, where do you want me to go? Because I don't want to see life like this no more. This is not it. I truly want 
everyone to experience a level of abundance that they look back at their life and they go back to other people and they're going, yo, I found a new way to live. Do you want to live or you just want to be alive? That's what my, my heart's desire truly is. That's why I get so passionate and so upset about these hostage situations because they doing it right in front of our eyes. And like Samson, we turn a blind eye to it because we found one aspect of it that we enjoy. And we don't realize that loving one aspect of it puts our whole mission at risk. Do you understand that? Created to the number two, multiply.com, texting and blogging community on Patreon, strive, the letter N, inspire. <sighs> Let's do the things. I wish I could hug every grandbaby that's like, I want to, but I'm scared. Just go. Just go. Just go. Just go. Trust God. Just go. Just go. Just leave. Leave, Sarek, Samson. Just leave. <laughs> He'll show you love somewhere else where it's not going to make you forsake what God has for you. Just leave. Leave. Because if you don't leave, you're going you're gonna to die in there. Because that's how the story reads if you read the rest of Judges 16. He dies in the place that he thought he found love. <sighs> Do something different. Stop making me sad, okay? But I, I'm going to go ahead and let you go because you got websites and Patreons to go to. So we'll go ahead and talk later, okay? All right. Later. <laughs>